Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Sanctuary of Germantown Presbyterian Church, where it is a, such a delight to welcome you to this time of worship. Welcome one and all, wherever you may be worshiping from. We know there are so many people who are worshiping from Germantown, Collierville, Memphis, but we also know there are people who are further afield than that. And so whether you're local right here in this area or you're coming to us from wherever you may be around the country, we are delighted to welcome you to this service from Germantown Presbyterian Church on this uh, January the 24th. It's a cold, rainy day outside, but when we come together to worship God, it will be a beautiful, warm experience in the goodness of God's love. We do invite you to go to the church website and to download the church bulletin. You'll see that in several, several places on the website where you can go and hit the tab of church bulletins or Sunday resources or go through the resources tab. There are several places you can find that church bulletin. You can follow along with all the words of our songs that are printed there in the bulletin. And then you can also see the order of worship and follow along with that as well. So a warm welcome to everybody at this evening service. We do invite everyone to sign the online friendship pad. Just as we have a friendship pad here in our sanctuary that we pass down the pews for people to sign and for visitors to mark their information on, we also have an online version of that. And so you can again go to the church website. A very prominent box there will be the uh, online friendship pad. You can sign that. And especially if you're visiting with us, if you're watching from somewhere else or if you're local anyway, you can sign that and you can give us your information if you so choose, your, your information if you're a visitor. And then we would be so happy to contact you and to tell you more about our family of faith and more about who we are as a church. So please do sign the online friendship pad. We are so glad that we will be back to in-person worship next Sunday here in our sanctuary. And this is true for our evening worship service at 6. It's true for our morning worship service at 9.30. That you can do what we've been doing before, which is go to the church website. And we can pre-register the first 50 people who sign up. Can pre-register through the church website. And then can come to the service, whether that's in the morning or in the evening. And again, we'll have the sanctuary uh, roped off every other pew. Please wear a mask. And then we'll ask family units or individuals to sit uh, over six feet apart. And that way we can come back in and we can worship God together, at least some of us together as a family of faith. But knowing that whether you're here in person or whether you're at home, that we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit in this time of worship. We do want to invite everybody also to the annual meeting of the congregation and that will be next Sunday on Zoom. There's a Zoom link that we will send you if you register for that meeting. And again, um, the invitation to register goes out in all of our many communications from the church, our weekly e-blast. But you'll also see a special email come to our church email list tomorrow where we will have the uh, biographies and the pictures of all of our elder and deacon nominees. We'll also have a budget page that will be part of the different reports for the annual meeting of the congregation. Our stewardship team will talk about how we did uh, last year at 2020, but then also we'll present the budget that the session passed last Thursday, present that budget to the congregation for information. But then we'll also, again, hear a report from the nominating committee. They'll present the deacon and elder nominees, and we'll vote on those, and that will be part of our annual congregational meeting as well next Sunday at noon, 12 noon, on Zoom, and we hope that as many people as possible can join us for that. Now, friends, let us start our worship this evening with a prayer. Let us come before God. Let us pray. Holy and amazing God, we come before you this evening. We pray for your Holy Spirit to now Settle down into this sanctuary and settle down into our hearts. Be with those who lead worship. Be with all of us, O oh God, as we experience worship. We know that we are called to worship you. We're mindful of the prophet Isaiah when you called him to be a servant and how you filled the temple, you filled that place of worship on that day for him. And we pray that you would fill this place of worship, O oh God, that we would have the same sense of awe and wonder and, and gratitude of your glory that Isaiah felt. Lord, fill this place as we worship you on this evening. We pray this all in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite you to come worship with us. We're going to sing a relatively 
older song, older to me, and uh, but it's a classic, and I, I just want to reiterate, me and the team, we're so excited to be worshiping back in person next week, looking forward to that, but for now, we invite you to sing with us um, in your homes and with your devices. Let's do this. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Sing that again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive, well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor Amazing love, sing that. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I honor you. Forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive. Well, spirit is within me because. You died rose again. I'm forgiven. Sing that. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive. Well, your spirit is within me because you died rose. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor
Here I am to worship, and it speaks of light of the world. You've stepped out into darkness. That's the revelation that we get of what Jesus did. In Philippians, Paul talks about how he gave of himself. He emptied himself out. He came to us that he might be like us, identify with us in every aspect, except for he did not sin. That's the revelation we get. Our response Here I am. Here I am to worship you. Here I am to lay down everything. You call, I want to answer. You want me to follow you, I will go where you go. Sing this with us. Here I am to worship you. How much it costs. 
lost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin. Thank you so much to our musicians. I think I'll sit down for tonight's sermon because I'm feeling particularly old this week. Particularly old because I celebrated another birthday on Thursday. I have now marked 51 trips around the sun. Oh yes, just a youngster, right John? And then I noticed that people like John and me, can't. I can't read this bulletin without pulling these out and I saw you had a close grip on your glasses as well and then um, when I hear that amazing love is one of the oldies that it's one of the classics I uh, some of us remember when that song came out <laughs> so that uh, that was quite a revelation as well so man I if I can't hear what you're saying it's because I'm so old older this week but I do remember um and remember this, there's, in Presbyterian circles, there's a famous question. It comes from the first question of the Shorter Catechism written in the 1640s. Um, and it's, what is our chief end? What is our chief, what is, the, what is the goal of humanity? And I thought about that in, in the song you just sang, Here I Am to Worship. The chief, our chief end, our chief goal is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And there's some, some uh, old, maybe older Presbyterians who grew up um, memorizing the shorter catechism and hearing that, that our goal is to worship. Our goal is to worship. And so before this service started, um, the worship team, you know, in the morning and the evening, the worship team gets together to pray for that service. And we just did that a minute ago. And that we would, that we would uh, come into the sanctuary and be able to sort of leave outside all the burdens of the day and the things that we carry, and the, even the joys, but also the sorrows that we carry, that we could leave those at the door and bring the, just ourselves into worship God. And so we do that this evening. I'm grateful for the hymn that you just sang, Here I Am to Worship, and that our, our chief goal, the main goal for all of us, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I want to share with you a scripture reading for this evening, and it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. 
And in Mark's gospel, at the very beginning, Jesus goes around in Galilee and he is uh, recruiting disciples. He is calling disciples to follow him. And so he uh, begins in Galilee to call those first disciples. You see this in Mark chapter 1. You see this starting at verse 14. It says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then he went on a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Amen. Uh, there's a Methodist minister, a great Methodist preacher, who died just a couple of years ago, but I got to hear him preach a lot um, over the course of, I don't know, the last uh, decade or so, and I had the chance to meet him a few times, and I loved his sermons, and he had a very unique way of approaching Scripture. He had a series of sermons that he called Parables from the Backside, and he had a series of sermons called Beatitudes from the Backside, and he wrote about Christmas, he wrote about Easter from the Backside. Now, I don't know what you think of immediately when you hear that word, but what Ellsworth Callus meant, the great Methodist preacher, what he meant by that was taking a look at Scripture, taking a look at an event in the Bible from a different angle, from an angle that not other people see, perhaps, looking at its meaning from a different perspective so that the meaning of that story and the meaning of that passage might take root in your heart in a different way, maybe even a stronger way. So I want to do that with this lesson tonight, this story of Jesus calling his disciples. I want to come at it from a, a backside angle, and that angle tonight, which is a little different, you usually don't hear preachers talking about this, but the angle I want to look at tonight is what if one of those fishermen had said no? What if one of them had said no? Jesus comes along, we hear in the New Testament, there in that story from Mark, he comes along, he calls all of those disciples, and they immediately say yes, and they drop everything and they follow him. So, most sermons you hear preached from this passage are all about the urgency of saying yes to Jesus and the highest priority of following him no matter what, of dropping everything, saying yes, and following him. And I think we'll come back to that maybe in a few minutes at the end, but for now... Let's just say that, for example, Andrew had said no. No, that he didn't follow. And he might want to give a few reasons why. Maybe it's not Andrew. Maybe it's people in your own life. Maybe it's people in your own world, perhaps. Maybe this is you right now. Maybe it's somebody you know who comes up with reasons why not to follow Jesus. So let's look at it from that angle, for example. Why would you not follow Jesus? Jesus. Well, one reason is alluded to in the beginning of this passage where we read this, and it's the very beginning where it says, after John was arrested. So we know from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry that there is an element of danger around him. Now, this is John, and John is now facing danger for his role of, of being a prophet of God and his role in God's kingdom. But this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and so there is an element of danger already surrounding Jesus as he starts his ministry. We're going to see this happen over and over the course of his life, over the course of the Gospel of Mark, all through the New Testament, that there is an element of danger around Jesus. Now, we all like our safety we all lock our doors at night. Some of us turn on alarms. We like our security. Who doesn't? That is only human to be safe and secure. That is not a bad thing. We like our safety. But hear this. Following Jesus will at some point, if you're being faithful, put you in a place of uncomfortable conflict and maybe even harm that threatens you. 
And that's just the reality of following Jesus. I have been so taken in the last few years about reading by a group of women who live in Cuba who dress in white and who walk through the streets of Cuba every, every Sunday to bring attention to what the government has done to their husbands and their sons. And they're known as the ladies in white. And they protest the brutalities of the Castro regime that jails and tortures political dissidents, including some of their husbands and sons. These women, these women put themselves in potential danger each week to protest that injustice. John the Baptist was arrested because he pointed out that the ruler of his day, Herod, was engaged in a, in a, a sinful sexual relationship with his wife, who was his brother's wife before that. John said, that's not right. And it wounded Herod's pride. And so he had John arrested because he didn't like John making him look bad in the eyes of other people. You see, Jesus does the same thing in many ways. He challenges so many of the religious leaders in his day. He challenges the Pharisees. He challenges the Roman rulers of his day. He is a threat to those who want to hold on to power by any means necessary. It always puts him in conflict. A few years after this story that we read tonight, we know that for Peter, a few years later in Acts 12, Peter discovers Herod's rage for, his, for himself. When Herod goes on this rampage against Christians, and he has lots of them arrested, he kills John that we just read about, he arrests Peter in order to make a spectacle of him. So Jesus' followers are going to find themselves at some points in, t in places of conflict, maybe even danger on account of their discipleship. But here's the main thing for Christians. When we find ourselves in conflict, even when we find ourselves in danger, here is the main thing for Christians. In, Christians don't respond with violence like the world does. I mean, this is the instinctual human reaction is to fight and to go to battle and to respond to violence with even more violence, to fight to the death, to go down swinging, to take as many people down with you as you can. The world says get revenge. The world says get angry and fight and hurt others if necessary in support of your cause or at least embarrass them and call them out publicly online or in public, humiliate them. But Jesus' followers can't do any of that if they're really being faithful to the commandments and to the example that our Lord set. We don't do that. Jesus said, love your enemy. He said, pray for those who do harm to you. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus not only didn't resist going to Golgotha, he carried his own cross to get there. And he invites us and he even commands us to carry our own crosses. And a lot of times that means not responding how the world responds to conflict and violence. We're told in several books of the Bible, we're told in Romans, for example, do not take revenge. Do good to those who hurt you. If your enemy is thirsty, give him or her a cup of cold water. If someone strikes you violently on one side of your face, said Jesus, show that person how loyal to Jesus you are by getting up, dusting yourself off, and by turning the other cheek to that person as well as a sign to them that you would rather they hit you again than you respond in violence to what they do. Even when they're being persecuted, even when they're being oppressed, even when they are being wronged, whether for their faith or politically or in business or in society, Jesus' followers do not use violent speech or violent action as a means to get what they want. If they do, then they are disobeying their Lord. Friends, we were reminded of this so poignantly on the holiday that we celebrated last Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Why was he so influential why was he so world-changing? Because he subscribed every day, every hour to nonviolence. To nonviolence. 
Not everybody around him, not everybody in our world, in all movements do that. But he did, and that's why he made a world-changing difference. Because of his faith and his nonviolence. Why not follow Jesus? Because you will have to live by the law of love and the law of nonviolence in your speech and in your actions. And that goes against the ways of the world. Look at this reading and you'll see another place where it's hard sometimes for people to follow Jesus. And that's because you will face disappointments. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will face disappointments. And here in this lesson, it is within your own family. What in the world was Zebedee experiencing when James and John, his sons, leave him in the boat with the hired men to go follow Jesus? What did he think about that? These two brothers have grown up under their dad's watchful eye. They work together. He has been grooming them in the family business and in that day and age, it was the father's role usually to train sons within the Jewish faith. So he was their teacher. He was teaching them about their ancestors, teaching them about Torah, teaching them about obeying Scripture, about praying, growing up to be faithful Jews. And then they drop everything to follow a new teacher. He may be one of us, they think, but we're not quite sure. He is certainly new. He's certainly different. He's different from our other teachers, why would they cause their father so much pain by leaving him to follow Jesus? Friends, this is often the case in so many families that, that faith differences in families is often a source of disappointment. It's often a source of conflict. And we're seeing it more and more in different generations. A lot of times children don't have the same beliefs as their parents. And what's interesting is that in our day and age now, we're seeing this even more and more all the time, is that children, young, not just young children, but adult children are becoming followers of Christ. They are converting to Christ, much to their parents' surprise and even dismay if those parents aren't Christian. And they're not part of a church and they're outside of faith and their children come to Christ and they don't know what to think about that. And so there's sometimes conflict within families. I recently read a story about a man named Damon Richardson who grew up in Queens in a family that was part of the nation of Islam. And over time, as a young adult and then as an adult, he saw that his foundation in that system of belief, uh, it began to crack and it cracked more and more. And then he gave his life to Christ and he writes about what it was right to convert to Christianity after such a long time in another faith. Why not follow Jesus? Because sometimes you'll have to choose between your faith and your family. Now, do you stop loving your family? Absolutely not. Do you ever stop praying for them? No, of course not. Do you keep on bending over backwards to, to love and be with and spend time with and, and as a parent maybe provide for your family? Of course you do. We do that all the time. But do you believe deep down that the, that the truth on which you have staked your life, the truth of Christ, that it is true even if people in your family don't care about it and don't believe it and don't want to hear about it? Is it true? Yes. And at some point, you may enter into some kind of conflict or disappointment over that truth. And you keep on loving and praying for them even more even in the midst of family disappointments. There's several other reasons I want to concentrate as I finish up on one more. Other reasons that I think are here in this reading that might be, they're not might be, they are, it's a disincentive for some people to follow Christ. And that is a loss of income. Or if not a loss of income, then certainly an enormous change in how you view your income and how you view your assets and your net worth. It's all going to be different as a result of discipleship. I mean, look at what happened for these fishermen. They're making a, live, a living, we, we think. They're making a living there. It's a family business. They're supporting themselves. And then they have to become dependent on the generosity of other followers to support them 
as they travel with Jesus. They go from being self-sufficient to being dependent. In fact, in Luke 8, we read a story about how there's a group of women who are healed by Jesus of many diseases. And then those women also become followers and they travel too. And they become the primary financial supporters for Jesus and the disciples during his ministry. Do you want a reason not to follow Jesus? Because so many followers experience a loss of income when they realize that what they are doing as a line of work doesn't mesh well with following Christ. It doesn't sink very well. There's so many jobs where people are asked to do something that is untoward, that is unethical, that violates their conscience. Maybe you're in sales. If you're in sales, then you know this. There is always an opportunity to increase your sales through some means that is against your conscience as a Christian. Maybe it's through sales. Maybe it's through some kind of kickbacks. Maybe it's because you have information to undercut a competitor. Maybe it's because you have information where you would even undermine a coworker. There's always some rule to skirt. There's always some corner to cut. There's always some law that you can break that you rationalize shouldn't be a law anyway. There is always some way to curry somebody's favor who is in a position above you. There's always a way to get promoted, making more money, and sometimes you have to choose between all of that and following Christ. And it is so hard. I know people, and I know you do too, I've got friends who went into a specific line of work because the money is really good. The money is good in that profession. But now, as we get older, as I've just mentioned, you get to a point in life and some of these folks wake up 10 to 15 to 20 years later and they can't realize why they're unhappy and why their family is a mess. Why do they feel spiritually bankrupt? And they start to realize that the only way to a meaningful life they discover is to follow Christ. But what to do about that work where the money is good? Can you leave it behind? It's really hard. And yet some of the happiest people I know, some of the happiest people I interact with as a minister here at GPC, some of the happiest people I see in the greater Memphis area community are those people who left high-flying and high-paying jobs to go into nonprofit ministries and nonprofit work. But nonprofits are called nonprofits because there is no profit and there isn't much money and there isn't much pay compared to where they were before. And I'm kind of thinking about this right now as it hits me as we've got sanctuary here, but six or seven students who are contemplating going into church work and church music. And I am saying that it's not very lucrative and it may mean a loss of status or a loss of whatever income you had hoped for. And I hope that's not the case because it is the most rewarding and the most joyful thing that you can ever experience it, ever experience. But you go into it knowing that it's not meant to be lucrative. Along the way, these folks, all of us, along the way, once we realize and have our minds changed about money and resources, we start to understand who we really are and who God wants us to be and how God wants to use our talents in service of the kingdom. But that's so hard because our world values money and status and, and all kinds of fame. And in our world, people who are not wealthy and those who are poor are often looked upon as unimportant, sometimes even worthless, but not to God. Now, I do want to say this, that even if you are in for-profit work and even if you are in a good business and a healthy business with lots of profits, and I want to say that businesses and profits and shareholder value, those are all actually very good things. They're part of a healthy economy and they're good for society, but even those things will be looked upon differently if you are a follower of Christ. You'll have a very much different approach to them. You will be challenged all the time, all the time by Christ to be a wise and generous steward of what God has given you. You'll be challenged. You'll hear Jesus talk about how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because Jesus dislikes rich people, no, at all, but, but because he knows 
how distracting and how debilitating wealth can be for people as we try to live dependently upon God. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, God and wealth, so people have to choose. And Jesus challenges his followers to be generous beyond what makes sense. And he admires people who give away everything if that everything they have is a, is a hindrance to their discipleship and to following him. So why not follow Jesus? Because you have to be reformed and reminded and reshaped in how you view money and worldly assets. And who wants that? I mean, in a world, literally a world that says, get as much as you can and use as much as you can to provide as much luxury and prominence for yourself, who wants an obligation to be financially obligated and accountable to God? The Psalms say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and that we are just temporary holders of all that God has given us. It's not ultimately ours, and we are charged by God to use our blessings to bless others. And that's hard. There's certainly other reasons not to follow God. If you look at this story, if you look at other stories from the backside, but then from that backside mentality, wouldn't you miss, if you said no to Jesus, wouldn't you miss the most beautiful and the most wonderful and the most important things about life and about faith and about discipleship? I mean, honestly, I've got friends, I've got family members. We all have people who are finding reasons not to follow, not to embrace God, not to live by love, not to worship, forgive, create, sacrifice, not to serve. Consciously, even unconsciously in our world every day without people realizing it, people are coming up with reasons not to live like Christ or attach their lives to His. But that's such a backside approach to life and faith. And what do they miss out on? They will miss out on a life of purpose and meaning. What do you miss out on if you say no to God? You'll miss out on all the small details by which God wants to make your life better and richer every single day. All the details by which God wants to make your relationships better and stronger every single day. You miss out on the kind of forgiveness and the kind of love that will heal you in ways way beyond the physical, your life will be made whole again in so many ways. You will miss out on a life in this world in which, in living in such a way that when your life in this world is over, that God will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That you look back on your own life and you know that it was worth it. Even if you have to devalue money, in order to see how worthy God is, it is worth it. Even if you have to live in the discomfort of conflict sometimes, even if you have to put yourself in potential bodily harm, it is worth it to live by nonviolence and love. And when this life is over, when your life in this world is over, if you say no to Christ, you will miss out. You will miss out not only on what you can have right here and now, but you will miss out on the most wonderful and glorious and beautiful eternity that God wants to live with you in. God wants you to have it. Why not be a follower with so much goodness and so much love and so much eternity at stake? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you, we thank you for the call upon our lives where Jesus approaches each one of us and says, follow me. Lord, you do invite each one of us to follow you, and so we take up that invitation. We hope to be like Peter, we hope to be like Andrew, and we hope to be like James and John, that we would say yes to that invitation, that we would make it a great priority, the greatest priority in all of our lives. We, say, we pray, O oh God, that we would say yes, that we would follow, and that you would provide for us and protect us through all dangers and snares, through all temptations and toils, and that you would be with us and be our God, not only now, but through all eternity. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. I invite you to sing our next song called In Christ Alone. And as we sing this, um, let's just thank Jesus for the price that he paid for us on the cross and um, just declare that we're going to secure our hope, our identity, and our life to him, that we are going to follow him. So sing that with us. grateful people because of all that Christ has done for us and that in him alone we have life that he paid such a great sacrifice for each one of us and so we respond with gratitude we always respond with gratitude and the offering in our service is just that moment where we have a chance to display our gratitude to God and so we do in each service of course uh, we take up an offering and that is our primary way for us to say thank you to say that we are grateful that we support the work of the church that spreads the news of God's love both near and far. And so I invite you to go to the church website and give electronically. 
I invite you to give through the, the standard means, um, whatever it is, by whatever means you choose, that you would continue to be so grateful to support the work of God through Christ Church. We'll dedicate that offering now as we also pray for our world and we pray for those around us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this evening knowing that you are a great God, that you are mighty and that you are powerful, and that you call us to celebrate with those who celebrate. And so on this evening, we know that there is much to celebrate. We know, God, that there are relationships to celebrate because they have been restored and they have been renewed. And so for all the ways in which your reconciling and forgiving love has been at work, in people's lives, restoring them to loved ones, we are grateful. Lord, we celebrate new births on this day and this week. So often, oh God, we are focused on the hardship of this season that we're in because of the pandemic, that we forget to celebrate all the good things that happen in people's lives, including births. Births of babies and new births, oh God, of people into faith and into joy. We celebrate, O oh God, those who have overcome sins and hardships that held them back, that prevented them from experiencing life as you would have it. For those who have overcome addictions, O oh God, and for their support groups and for their sponsors, for all the ways in which you keep them thinking cleanly and living cleanly, O oh God, we are grateful. We pray, O oh God, also as you tell us too that we should grieve with those who grieve, and so we do that as well. Well, we grieve with those for whom this past week has been a hard one because death has come to claim a family member or to claim a friend. Well, we know that this is a difficult season and that there are illnesses and that there are experiences by which people are suffering. And so we grieve, O oh God, with those who are suffering uh, this week, even on this night, a difficult diagnosis. We pray for those who will undergo and start chemo treatments and other treatments this very week, O oh God. We pray that in their weakness, you would be strong. We do grieve, O oh God, with those who grieve. We grieve with all those who are suffering. We do continue to pray, O oh God, for those who are on the front lines of the fight against COVID, that you would continue to bless them with wisdom and strength and stamina, that you would stay with them day after day, week after week, and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, O oh God. And we pray that it, that light would become bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter as it dawns upon our world as we emerge from this pandemic. But until that day comes and until that dawn comes, we do pray for strength and perseverance. But we pray that we would be a light in this world, each one of us and collectively as a church, that we would shine the light of your love in all the dark places and all the dark corners. And we pray that you would hear us, O oh God, as we pray that this prayer that you teach us to say together as disciples, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we go into this next song, um, it's entitled, Oh, Come to the Altar. And it's a song of invitation. It's an invitation from the Father for you to ultimately surrender your life to him. The first verse says, Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. And so, and so tonight, I want to offer that invitation to you, not as, a, not as myself, but as a follower of Christ alongside other followers of Christ, because we want you to join in the, the family of God. And if you feel led by the Spirit 
If you're by yourself, I pray that you would call out to him because he's calling for you. He wants you. And he's literally just a call away. You say his name, he's there. And he's waiting for you. And if you are already a believer and you are, and you feel led to reach out to a specific person, reach out to them. Especially if you're already a believer, the bridge of this song says, oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah because Christ is risen. And isn't that true? Shouldn't we be singing, oh, what a savior, knowing of what it is that he has saved us from? Personally, for me, he has saved me from he saved me from addiction. He has saved me from honestly a word that I cannot make myself say right now because I really can't actually remember how to pronounce it, and that's really the only reason. But I invite you to let the Spirit speak to you as we sing this song. Oh, 
Friends, Jesus is calling. He is calling. He went to the seashore. He called those fishermen right from their work. Jesus is calling you from your work, from your family, from your neighborhoods. Jesus is calling all of us to follow him. Let us do so, not coming up with reasons why we shouldn't, but embracing all the reasons why we should. And so, friends, as we end this worship service, I charge you to go out into this world to love and serve the Lord and go out and love and serve your neighbor. And as you go, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's my joy on